0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry.
1: Hey, I'm here again with John, and we're continuing our discussion on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and today, I think we just want to delineate and make clear the interpretive strategies and maybe the work of DeYoung and how that may play into it and just lay out, OK, here are two ways of reading Bonhoeffer and then look at the work in that light. So just to make clear what we're doing, among other things. But John, maybe you have in mind the direction you want to go. I'm curious about the work of de Young. How do you see that, or do you, as creating reinforcement of a particular reading?
2: Yeah, de Young is an American who is in this school of thought that is shared by several other Bonhoeffer scholars, a German scholar as Christian Tietz. And they're reading Bonhoeffer in such a way that pushes back against the normal Anglophone reading of Bonhoeffer being a death of God theologian, or conflating what he means by religionless Christianity with our notions of religion. You know, I'll tell, actually just thought of a story off the top of my head that I heard, and I think this helps sort of frame this up. And it's a story about Christiane Antietz, and she has also just recently written a biography on Karl Bart, And her biography is the one that takes account all of his correspondence and diaries and things about Charlotte von Kirschbaum and exposes that as sort of a damning affair. And even as she was taking questions about this work, somebody asked her, well, do you, do you still like Karl Bart? Is he somebody you would like? which is sort of an odd question to ask an academic, right? Right, right. And apparently she thought about it for a second, and then her answer was, yes, actually. He would have been an enjoyable person to be around. He was funny. He was witty. He was good at being social. He was kind, a very endearing sort of person, even with this major character flaw. But then before she finished the answer to her question, she said, but, you know, I don't think that I would have liked Bonhoeffer. Oh. <laughs> and I think that's striking to us. And this is why I say it, because we have such a modern myth of who Bonhoeffer is. Mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer, the Protestant saint, the martyr, the mm-hmm. uh, you know, this theologian who wrote these nice things in discipleship. I think it skews the way we approach Bonhoeffer that automatically we like his story so much that we want to uh, find that he thinks a lot like we think, or that his categories are the same as our categories, or to put it a different way, that he would care about what we care about. And maybe that's not the case. And that's the point that she's making there. So that's a a lot of the problem with these schools of thoughts or interpretations about reading Bonhoeffer, not to say that that's in any way kind of uh, gives us a final word or that we would even be able to come to a conclusion. But for a long time, the way Bonhoeffer has been related to, say, ministers, pastors, and even lay Christians, because he is very popular in this way, has either been through the prism of, oh, Bonhoeffer uh, stood up against the Nazis, but he did so as a pacifist. He cared about uh, the Jews and the injustices that were done in the Third Reich. And so progressive Christians think, oh, this is a guy that's like us, and to boot, uh, by the end of his life, he's talking about religionless Christianity. Maybe we should get on board with that, too. That sounds less offensive than telling people that Jesus calls them to come and die. And then on the flip side, of course, you've got the evangelical version, which is, you know, Bonhoeffer had some of these pacifist liberal ideas, but turns out he's willing to try to kill Hitler, and he's a theologian, and he's sort of a you know, James Bond type figure working for German counterintelligence. Uh, Well, neither of those things are actually very accurate depictions of who he was. And so more recent scholarship, and of course, there's going to be disagreement about this, but a lot of more recent scholarship is focusing on how Bonhoeffer turns out to be a pretty good Lutheran, actually how he thinks that the German church has fallen away from Lutheranism, and that's the problem. Uh, And historically, that all coincides with, in the 30s, you had the 450th anniversary of Luther's birthday, celebrated with great fanfare by a bunch of German Protestants who are also embracing Nazism. Uh, Bonhoeffer didn't go. (laughs) He didn't think that was okay. He thought they were co-opting Luther. So you have that going on. He also is heavily influenced by Barth, though uh, I believe the consensus is that inactive being he agrees with Bart's correction of being theology, which is not exactly the same thing as like what a Heidegger would mean by onto theology, but in that vein. But doesn't necessarily agree completely with Bart's assessment of act theology. How does God interact with the world, or how is God's presence mediated to the world? So there's also a critique there, but I can't say that I would be able to explain that very well. And then We have, of course, to deal with his life. So how does somebody who is devoting their entire life, even as somebody who could be an academic to church work as well, working in the confessing church, and does that until uh, he can't any longer? One, the confessing church finds it harder and harder to operate without colluding with the state, and Bonhoeffer's unhappy with that. And two, he gets drafted. His age is going to be drafted, and so that's ultimately what puts him to work in the counterintelligence because he has a brother-in-law, Danani, who is able to get him out of normal military service and let him come work for the counterintelligence, which is actually all anti-Nazi, oddly enough, that both an Admiral Canaris and uh, a General Oster are both uh, against Hitler's Nazism. But what's hard for us to realize is that being against Nazism doesn't mean being for some sort of you know, constitutional democracy. Like these people want a strong government. They think only a strong government will satisfy like nearly autocratic governments going to satisfy uh, the German people. So he's definitely occupying a different world or a different headspace than we do, which complicates his terms. I guess this is my point here. So that when Bonhoeffer uses terms like religion or religionless, or when he um, talks about, you know, redemption salvation, all of these terms mean something within his context with his particular, sometimes idiosyncratic reading of Luther and Bart, and what's going on in Germany at the time.
1: And so the discussion is, or the significance is the degree to which we read him as part of a traditional Lutheran theology. He's not really doing anything new. He's not really a creative theological presence, but in fact is following the normative standards of Lutheranism. And even if you followed Young's notions of resistance, even up to his joining the plot to kill Hitler, he's just following various forms of Lutheran resistance. Am, am well, I overstating it?
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't want to be saying that exactly. I mean, he is a genius, so a lot of his thought is original. But he's working with Lutheran categories, and he thinks a part of the problem is that the German church has rejected these categories. So maybe it's more of a question of whether or not Bonhoeffer is, in fact, an Orthodox Christian uh, or not. Because you realize even in his own time, I mean, you have one of his mentors, and he writes a, a wonderful obituary for his... Adolf von Harnack, Mm -hmm. and von Harnack is in no way an Orthodox Christian. Mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer is. So in that sense, I think he and Barth are pushing back very hard against what they both see as a falling away from an Orthodox or a true Lutheranism, a true, uh, in Barth's case, maybe a true Reformed theology. But I I don't think that means that he's not uh, an original thinker because he is, for sure, and and really a genius in the way he's taking up these uh, Lutheran categories and working through them for his own time, Uh, and then also even as a systematic theologian, the way he's trying to recover the Church. So he doesn't think in any kind of simple way that just returning to Luther is going to save the Church, but he thinks that Luther has Uh, Some patterns in place and some of Luther's categories are still very good and valid for the German church becoming authentic once again. So like an example, he, like Luther, thinks that monasticism or a fleeing from the world is not the answer. So he thinks the Christian vocation is going to be worked out in public life. However, the way he develops that is entirely original and uh, quite creative, and you see that in discipleship and life together. And those aren't even academic books. Uh, Act and Being and then later on Ethics uh, are both highly original works in the sense that uh, maybe I can talk about ethics more. When he comes to ethics, he thinks that the foundation of Christian ethics is totally off balance by this point. He takes up the Lutheran notion or the Lutheran categories that the church's primary vocation is to proclaim the gospel. But the way that works out in his ethics is he's going to shift the questions from Christian ethics being about what ought I do to what does God will. So his thoughts both original, but he is working with traditional categories as well.
1: He doesn't want to be Kantian and come up right. with some rule-based understanding It is a contextualized understanding, but it is the idea of working out a Christian understanding. How would you say that? I mean, he, he, I know when he's thinking of coming, he's in the United States and he's uh, explaining to his friends, you know, why he has to go back to Germany. And then he confides to his diary, well, I don't know why, you know, I I can give these reasons, but in the end, I'm not sure I understand, and that we ever fully understand why we make a decision. And in this, so much of what he says sounds very Kierkegaardian, that it is the choosing and we're given these choices, and that's what we mean. In other words, he, he would pit Kantianism against some sort of total freedom. Yeah. Uh, the point is, we have to be followers, true followers of Christ in these situations, but how you do that is very contextual and very personal, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. actually. I think one of his critiques of Bart is he thinks that Bart has too much the Kantian subject in mind. Now that doesn't mean that's a valid critique of Bart, but I early on that's one of the things that he thinks Bart thinks God acts in the world, but Bart does not think God's being is in the world. And I want his, Bonhoeffer wants to say, no, actually God's being is in the world in some way. No, that's right. So uh, a part of these, I think, is an important theme in these contextualization of what you just said. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, for Bonhoeffer, Christ is the person for others, the man for others. The church is then the community for others. Uh, So he's going to take up this idea of, you know, it's in the key to the Gospels, uh, love your neighbor uh, as yourself, which it does sound very Kierkegaardian in the sense of that's works of love, is going to work through this in a similar way. But for Bonhoeffer, the context can maybe be talked about in these four mandates that he identifies. So he sees God's being in the world, in the church, in marriage and family, in culture, and in government. Uh, Which, this sounds odd. Like, to me, I'm surprised by this because he's writing this while he's working for counterintelligence. So even as he has witnessed and is totally against Uh, the government he's working for, he still thinks God's being is felt in the world through government, which is an interesting thing. But he thinks that it's through these four mandates that Christians meet God and live out their vocation to love thy neighbor. So that's a a part of his ethical thought. So um, maybe instead of starting with what ought I to do, as traditional Christian ethics do, he starts out with these mandates as revealing the will of God in different ways and that we have an obligation that as Christians to love our neighbor uh, within them. You know, I don't know that we want to agree with that <laughs> necessarily, but that's where his thought is, even up until
1: the point where he goes to prison. State it clearly. What is it that we may or may not agree with?
2: Well, one, I guess I, I'm uncomfortable with thinking in terms of separating mandates into these two categories, that he would probably put them in redemption and preservation. So redemption is the ultimate thing, the redemption of all things, which I am comfortable with talking about. But the way he structures the the time that we're in now is this time of preservation. He thinks the will of God is, in fact, worked out in the state that bears the sword, say, in marriage and family relationships and in culture. I'm not for sure if I would account for those things quite in that way, uh, just within a provisional dualism. I think I am actually comfortable with the question in Christian ethics, what ought we to do? What does it mean to have human flourishing? What does it mean to flourish as a human being? And to think of that as being worked out, maybe in more of a scheme of virtue ethics or something, that as we enter the church, uh, God's grace is operative and cooperative in such ways that we become saved in those ways we, we have union with god in those ways and that's not to say that it excludes those other structures i think i'm probably more skeptical of those provisional structures than bonhoeffer is at this point
1: and now we've said okay this would be a a fairly conservative reading of, of bonhoeffer and just for the sake of delineating the disagreement let's set up the other category And that is the alternative reading would be to say that actually he is in his discussion of a religionless Christianity, describing the emergence of something new.
2: Yeah. Most scholars that do this are going to go with Bonhoeffer as being a death of God sort of theologian. In other words, a lot hangs on his definite, what is he talking about when he talks about religion? And that's probably key to this discussion. So I know you were reading a, a dissertation, a few people. what Could you identify what they interpret Bonhoeffer meaning by religion and religionless?
1: Well, yeah, the religionless, at one level, you know, he's just talking about secularism. Modernity would be a way of describing that. And not in any simple terms, not that modernity revol- results in secularism but somebody like Charles Taylor, who is describing this new situation of the secular, in which, in fact, God is really a choice for most people, whether you believe or don't believe. It's no longer uh, a situation that everyone believes in God. And so just the, the state of the world, and there are many places in Bonhoeffer where he's not simply talking about Germany, he's talking about science, he's talking about the, you know, the progress is really what he has in mind, and world progress, so that he is very aware of secularization. And so part of what he must mean by this new religionless Christianity is that, it is no longer the case that we live in a world, a rule-bound world, in which religion is a kind of forced choice. It's not really a choice at all. And that in this situation, people will be comfortable, adequate, rich, healthy even. Mm-hmm. In other words, he doesn't hesitate to say that we, we don't need to make people worse than they are. We don't need to make everybody a sinner that you can be quite healthy and be without God in this emerging new world ordering. And so what he means by a religion then is a purely negative understanding that religion is the human striving to come to God. And he is following Bart in, in this negative aspect of religion. That is, there's as we talked about it last time, there is either the word of man or the word of God. Mm-hmm. And so he would pit revelation against religion. And what we have in Christ is the revelation of God, and what we have in religion stands over and against that truth.
2: So here's the question, and I it's actually what you've described so far, Pete and Young would both agree with. So, uh, to get to the real division, the question is, you've described the category of religion so far, I think, in ways that are, you know, philosophical, theological, but what, for practical purposes, is included in that category of religion? And this is where people seem to disagree. So, is it the case that Bonhoeffer, like many in the 20th century, has recognized this problem of a sort of ontotheology, even if that is a caricature in some sense? Uh, of some thinkers, okay, that's good. He's definitely against that. I think most people are agreed. But what is the solution in religiousless Christianity? So some people read that, and this is always, by the way, this whole conversation takes place in post-war Europe and the United States, which is, I think, important because even uh, you know Bonhoeffer's friend Betge has been criticized on some of these parts by making Bonhoeffer. Have post-war sensibilities that he just obviously doesn't have in his own writings. Uh, so the question is, what what do we what must we turn away from? Yeah, uh, in the category of religion, and I think this is where the divide actually occurs because what you've said so far, I think most scholars are actually in agreement with Bonhoeffer is critiquing a certain kind of theology. I mean, this would be the same thing as like saying nowadays we just call secularism a Christian heresy, right? So, there's this notion, as you mentioned with Charles Taylor, that I think that's his category, secularity too, that as the conditions for belief are changing, what you end up with is actually a Christianity that is proclaiming a secular heresy. And then by the time you get to the 20th century, you've lost Christianity uh, almost in general, in the sense that now in the West, this isn't actually true in all places in the world, but it's so easy or so plausible to deny Christianity, that Christianity is just one more option among others. But the problem is that Christians even think of Christianity that way, uh, that we've entered into a truly secular age in that sense, in Charles Taylor's words. So uh, I think that's a great way of putting what Bonhoeffer's talking about when he talks about uh, the world come of age. Because he says in these past two centuries, past several centuries or something, I think he says two, but he means, you know, in the last couple hundred years, basically the 18th century and on, he sees this issue. And he sees the problem from the church's perspective is that the church has tried to push back so hard that the church has not given credence, perhaps, to sciences that it should actually be able to find agreement with. It's interesting, the way he describes it sounds as much like a Vatican I Roman Catholic mentality as it does anything in the Protestant world, but I think he's obviously talking about the Protestant world, but it's a sort of, uh, he thinks the problem is that the Christian church has confronted secularity, he's never going to use that word, obviously, that's a much later term, but has confronted it by trying to build a wall or trying to insist that we still need Christ, but the problem is it's insisting that we need Christ on the fringes. And so he thinks it's missed to the point of Christianity. So the question, I think, or the division is going to be, well, what do you have to get rid of? Or what's what's really responsible for that whole problem? And the death of God, people are going to say, well, it's the institutions of religion. I don't think that's what Bonhoeffer has in mind. And that's what DeYoung and Tietz are going to say, that who Bonhoeffer is is somebody who has never in his life conceived of a Christianity without the church. And that church for him has always been a state church. I'm not and again, not saying that we should be comfortable with state churches. It's just that happens to be his context that he's working through this in.
1: Let me insert a thought to kind of go okay. along with what you're describing. And that is that I think that whether he uses the language, he is very aware of a kind of ontological apologetic yeah he and, calls it
2: being theology
1: yeah and which, the yeah onto. <laughs> so he's trying to draw people back he thinks or apologetics yeah. is trying to draw people back into a kind of adolescence that they you know that this is a kind of immature stage of understanding of god and the role of christianity and so i think part of the discussion we're having here is the degree to which he sees what he's doing as a reworking of a Christian understanding as we have it up to now. And so I think as we go through this, a reading of the prison letters is going to say, one reading is going to say, well, this is a kind of emergency situation. And others are going to say, well, no, actually, this is the culmination correct me if I'm trying to set up the disagreement here.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I I would disagree a little bit because I think he definitely thinks it's an emergency situation, but his first response or his, his first solution to that is not to rework traditional theology. Actually, I don't think he ever thinks in terms of, oh, it's traditional theology is the problem. He thinks rather that the state is no longer fulfilling the will of God. So if we think in terms of these divine mandates that he's set up, so he thinks the state has failed. He thinks the church has failed. And he thinks because the state has failed, now marriage and family relations and culture is failing as well. So in, in the letters from prison, uh, oftentimes he's, some of the things he's saying to like Betka is that he's worried about that. It's this barbarism in German culture. That all of the avenues in which one was is supposed to be, under normal circumstances, able to fulfill this command of God to love thy neighbor, to follow Christ, come and die, are no longer available to the Christian. Because you can't do that in the church. You can't do that in the state. And now the question is, because the state has failed, can you even accomplish that obligation? Uh, and marriage and family relations, or in culture. And that seems to be what he's actually dealing with. But the problem that he's identifying isn't with traditional Christian language or even traditional Lutheran theology. The problem that he's identifying has to do with a certain kind of metaphysics. As you said yesterday, it's this Deus ex machina. It's sort of a, a God is always there to help man on the fringes. In other words, we can figure out most things by ourselves and we only need God for like these, uh, I mean, superstitious would be the wrong word, but it's like for these spiritual aspects of our life, God is something that could be added on to our life. And Bonhoeffer thinks that that has then driven individual people uh, towards focusing on Christianity as something that just has to do with the inner life sort of private relationship to God and that it's become too individualistic and too partial. And so that's when he says religion, that's what he's taking aim at. And he thinks that is baked into, as you said, onto theology. I mean, he's not the only person to say this, in other words. He thinks right. that's the problem with these being theologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his solution, I don't think, is in any way to create a new form of Christianity. In other words, this, in his mind, according to, say, people like Teats and Diong really isn't going to have an impact on, say, the mission of the church or the, the true mission of the church or the church's ritual or an, in, having institutional Christianity or any of these things. And even while he's in prison, he undergoes uh, torture and interrogations. He is still trying to withhold information because he wants ongoing coup attempts to succeed. He is wholeheartedly, I think, behind this movement to replace Hitler with a more reasonable government. And in his mind, that's still, I think we would call it still probably a rather severe, strong, right-wing government. But he thinks that an approximate goal is simply to have a state that can carry out this mandate given by God, so that the state also accomplishes the end by which people are then able to love their neighbor, mainly by making sure that family and marriage relationships are coherent, like have intelligibility, as well Mm -hmm. as if the culture would have intelligibility, and he thinks that's a part of the role of the state. So maybe a way of what you're saying is, yeah, there are some people who read Bonhoeffer as being very radical in the sense of everything's going to change, or Christianity needs to be uprooted. I I don't think that's really what's going on in these letters, mainly because I don't think that's what his goals are at this time in his life. I don't think that's what he's trying to achieve or even what he means when he's writing to Beck about the future of Christianity in Germany. I think he definitely, as you said, wants to uh, move past the, sort, the form of religion. But when he says religion, what he's referencing is uh, metaphysics, the sort of metaphysical interpretation of Christianity that has spawned this individuality, this privatization of Christianity, etc.
1: I am just trying to set up the disagreement. Not, I'm not saying where I'm at in the distance. Yeah,
2: well, that's what I'm trying to... So that's exactly what I'm trying to do as well, is just to say that I think your options are really whether... I don't think there is much of a middle option in between he's a death of God theologian and Christianity needs to be radically different. And he actually thinks the church is going to be the institution that over... The church, the state, and family and culture are going to be the institutions in which one interacts to move beyond this form of religion that he thinks is the problem.
1: let me give you a a middle reading then. Okay. Uh, An alternative in which he's not a death of God theologian, but in fact is describing the emergence of something new and not necessarily in in this, he's going back to scripture. It's not like, Oh, this is something that's a departure from scripture or necessarily even a a departure from early theological understanding, but he is reading the Old Testament again. He he talks about reading it twice through and beginning it again, and that this is giving him a different insight into the understanding of how you read the New Testament, that you have to read the New Testament in light of what's taking place in the Old Testament. And, of course, in the Old Testament, he notices there's no discussion of the saving of souls or of people going to heaven or of uh, redemption out of the world. That the whole thing is about God's righteousness being established in an earthly kingdom. He then says that's, you know, the, the implication, of course, is, well, in light of that, that's the way that we need to read the New Testament. So he has this alternative understanding but he sees in Christ being fulfilled, that when Christ is on the earth, he is the kingdom of God. Here is, there is no uh, duality, there is no provisional dualism. Here is the kingdom of God. And there is an unfolding then of this unified understanding. Part of the way that he sees this, and this is, you know, the question is, how does a traditional Lutheran understanding tie into this, or whether it even speaks to this, I'm not sure, and that is, I I think he is very much seeing the emergence of an understanding of a person that is more Christ-like, so that, you know, what does it mean to be Christ-like? It is to suffer with the neighbor. It is to truly love the neighbor. And he'll even distinguish himself here from Bart. You know, Bart says, well, we love Christ in the neighbor. And Bonhoeffer says, no, it's the, we love the neighbor. It's not an abstraction. It's not a, a theoretical understanding. And the way that you love the neighbor, he begins to talk about a new understanding of what it means to be a person no longer controlled, you know, this is very obviously ties into my work on Romans 7, that no longer controlled by this I, that the I is only going to rightly understand who he is, she is in relationship to the neighbor, and that there is this emergence of a new Christ-like understanding in which one suffers with the neighbor. He doesn't count out the church in this, But he's saying this is what a true, authentic ecclesiology is concerned with, is suffering with Christ. And this is the mark of the true church. So that it's not a departure. It's not, I don't think he has in mind any clear ecclesiology. But what he has in mind is the world come of age is not simply a negative secularism, But the world come of age is also opening up a new place for the role of Christ in the world, in the whole world, and that there there is this setting that is taking place, and he's envisioning. He understands that he's speaking clumsily and that he doesn't yet have the full articulation of this. He writes to Bethke one day, and he says, you know, I would have explained this more, but it was too hot today, and I I (laughs) couldn't work. And so he... This is the new vision that he has and that what his new work that he would be dealing with, but he doesn't get the opportunity. And so it's not a death of God in the sense of a, an atheism, but maybe it's the death of God in the sense of the, the God of Christendom, the God of the religions, you know, the God of that Kierkegaard also criticizes, that there is a passing from that understanding to an understanding of uh, re-envisioning of who God is and what the church is and even what a human being is, that I think he really sees the unfolding. The maturing is not simply a negative maturity, but there's a maturing into Christ that we're going to have to take account of.
2: I'd be interested in um, what that actually looks like a little bit more on several fronts, because if that's the case, then you would be, that reading would be a sort of Bonhoeffer has a hard shift uh, when he goes to prison, because that does not coincide with what he's saying in ethics, nor does it coincide with the the, the importance of ecclesiology in his own thought in his, in his early work. So um, that would be my, I would have those two questions, because it sounds like Bonhoeffer ends up a lot closer to John Howard Yoder uh, than I think is really the case.
1: What I would ask you, and I, I, I'm not quite comprehending the significance, I don't know that the work by de Young or the work that identifies Bonhoeffer as traditional Lutheran, if you're going to say he's a hard and fast, I think you know, Luther, there's kind of a crude le- reading of Luther, that as I understand it, I haven't read de Young. That de Young is also challenging that kind of crude two kingdom understanding of Luther that Bonhoeffer never bought into. In other words, the significance of the two kingdom role and all of that is this: in some way going beyond that. Uh, I don't, I don't know. know. Well,
2: you're going to have to describe what you mean by crude two kingdom. I guess I, guess I want you. You're going to have to describe define those terms a little bit more. What do you mean, what is the crude two-kingdom theology that Bonhoeffer rejects, and it's not true to Luther either?
1: A a Lutheran interpretation that pits the church to a kind of subjection to the the kingdoms of the world, to the the state.
2: I don't know if that's fair. I think it would be the other way around, actually. I don't hold straightforwardly to this. I think Augustine says something similar that, in fact, is probably true, that there is a purpose for the state and that's that the gospel might flourish. Uh, In other words, you need some sort of order, um, in other words, rather than anarchy, for the gospel to flourish, and this is the purpose of the state. Luther probably takes that a step further, and at least that's what you see in the actual practice of Lutheranism in these state churches, right? But Bonhoeffer is always thinking in terms of redemption and preservation. So a part of God's divine mandate has to do with these institutions that are preserving in other words they are preserving order in human life and the ability for humans to live together and find community and he's going to locate that in the state and then subsequently in like the institutions of uh, marriage and family and culture culture being sort of a odd term i think he means like literature and what a people thinks about themselves and how a people relates through the arts to each other What sort of thoughts are being shared? Uh, It's the music of people. How are are we interacting through through these other ways? He thinks, I mean, he he has a place for that in his thought. And so if you're going to say that in prison he sees something new emerging and it repudiates all of that, I think there needs to be more explanation for that or justification for that reading because it makes more sense, to me anyway, to say that what he means by religion and religionless is really talking about a certain kind of individual privatized Christianity that has given into secularism in the sense— and again, Bonhoeffer's not using that word. He's never going to use the word secularism. But uh, that he sees as giving into this notion that God can somehow exist on the fringes of human life, uh, and we can figure out all of this other stuff by ourselves. What I think he wants to push towards— and rightly so, is to say, well, actually, we can figure out a lot of, like, sociology has an intelligibility all all to itself. Uh, Psychology has an intelligibility all to itself. The natural sciences do as well. So there need not be, as there was in the church in his own day, this conflict. In other words, where are we going to position God so that we still have room, but we really want to be scientists? You know, Adolf von, von Harnack is the perfect example of this. He is a church historian and a theologian who wants to get into the German Academy of Sciences. I can't, I don't know what the actual name of the thing was. And so he gradually positions himself more and more as a historian and all of actually there's a bunch of other German theologians that are doing this too, right? They're trying to position themselves as scientists, as theology being sort of on par with say sociology or some of these or history or, you know, these sorts of sciences, uh, so that they might be more respected in the academic community. And I think Bonhoeffer is saying whatever world is producing that is actually religionless. Like that religion, uh, that doesn't do anybody any good. And so his answer, though, isn't a sort of fundamentalism. It's not to say he actually talks about that, too. It's not to pit the church against these things, but it's how can we talk about uh, God in such a way that God still has meaning or Christianity still has meaning even for in a world, even within a world where we can openly and easily admit that the natural sciences and then disciplines like sociology, et cetera, have their own intelligibility, that it doesn't all have to be identical with theology. That's what he's working through.
1: My question here is isn't he also then seeing, in other words, in a in a crude Lutheranism, those two realms would always stand apart. But in his understanding is that, well, no, actually the realms of the world are coming together in Christ, inclusive of church and state. That not, not in some sort of return to a Catholic rule or Roman Catholic rule, but that is he's envisioning the true reign of Christ, Christ no longer at the, the edges, but at the center So, too, in terms of actual governing.
2: Well, I think you already said it earlier, maybe. It's not so much that it's happening in his own time. I don't think he would put God in history in that way. Uh, He thinks it happened at the cross.
1: Yeah, that it's unfolding.
2: Well, I mean, I I think he thinks it's already accomplished at the cross. Like, this is the truth of the gospel. This is what Christ crucified means, in other words. I don't think he's a straightforward Hegelian in that sense. It's not like, oh, you know, we're finally figuring all this out or moving beyond Christianity. I don't think that's what he's up to here. I also think you have to just, whether we like it or not, accept that his approximate goals at this point were simply to replace Hitler with some nicer version of fascism. (laughs) It's not like... uh, I mean, and that's the part that's hard. Uh, in other words, why I think you get the sort of picture of well, what I really like Bonhoeffer. I don't know. I mean, he is a German. He's proud to be a German. He thinks the only heresy is that if you say that all people can't be saved in the church, that there's some people that exist outside of the church's salvation. But as far as his allegiance was concerned, he did everything he could to stay a part of the old Union Prussian, the old Prussian Union Church, or however you say it. Even in his correspondence with Bart, you see his loyalty to the Prussian Church and then later to the Confessing Church, up until when that was no longer an option. No, I don't think he's the sort of thinker that says, "Oh, now we're moving past these structures." I, I just don't see
1: that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even I, see that.
2: I don't think that's what his goals are either. So yeah, I don't I, think he wants to redo Christianity.
1: Certainly, he believes in progress, and
2: well, he believes in maybe in an eschatological. I mean, he believes in redemption.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure here. The idea of progress that many of us have now set aside, uh, when he's saying the word progress, I think he means a kind of holistic, all-inclusive progress. And so, yeah, he's not Hegelian, but he's Christian, in that he does see an unfolding of the kingdom of God in the world. And it's not a setting aside of anything, any more than... Christianity is a setting aside of Judaism, but it's a fulfilling, it's an unfolding. And isn't that then what he's envisioning when he thinks of, even even in his description of the negative aspect of this, that secularism is not a negative thing in his understanding, but it's an opening, it is progress. And he means by that, the opening for a theological progress. So it's not that, oh, we're beyond Christianity here but we're beyond a kind of Christianity that is stuck in kind of the w- rules of religion and what that looks like. Again, I yes, he believes in the church, and yes, he. I, I'm not saying any of that, mm-hmm. that, that he's setting any of that aside. I just think he is envisioning or trying to envision. In other words, I don't know that he's captured this. Uh, I don't know that this is even a reading that the young, or I don't know that it even pertains to their reading, Uh, unless you just insist that as hard Lutheranism is always going to insist that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of government and world be in some way staked separately. And I don't think that's true Lutheranism. In other words, I think that need not be the straitjacket that we read Bonhoeffer in, but that, in fact, he sees a convergence of all things under the rule of Christ.
2: Yeah, but that—that's es- that's an eschatological vision. In other words, that's true for most Christianity, though, right? What's the real kingdom? Well, there's not two. It's <laughs> just one. I mean, only one of these things is eternal. Only one of these things is true. Only one of these things is going to last. It's not going to be the state. It's not even going to be marriage or family or any of these other institutions. Uh, But that's certainly not what he's shooting for if he's thinking it's still going to be around in 1946.
1: By eschatology, we have to continually remember that for Bonhoeffer, everything pertains to now. Everything pertains to this world. And so he's not thinking simply even about the resurrection. He thinks it primarily pertains to the way we're presently living. So yes, it is an eschatological vision, but I presume that he sees that as part of the disaster that he's facing in in the church. He's seeing it in the light, then, of this unfolding of something new.
2: So why don't you flesh out what you think that is? Uh, because otherwise, I don't think the conversation is going to progress. Uh, in other words, okay, so if that reading is accurate, then he said he doesn't even know what that looks like, but what might it look like? What do you think would be consistent with the direction he's headed?
1: Step one, I just wanted to say, okay, here are two readings. Have we given them a clear depiction? This is certainly not a a reading that's original to me. I'm just saying, okay, here here is the discussion. Here are the two parameters. One would take a kind of, put Bonhoeffer in the kind of traditional Lutheran role and say that he's always working within those parameters. And the other is to say, well, no, actually, he sees something, an emergence of something new. So we've set up, have we accurately set up the disagreement?
2: I, I feel like here you um, diminish that first reading in the sense that, no, it's not just traditional Lutheranism. In other words, he is using Lutheran categories in an original and creative way. Is not the same thing as saying, oh, well, Bonhoeffer's just a Lutheran. Nobody's saying that. In other words, he is obviously a genius. The people who think he is using Lutheran categories are saying that because that's the world in which his intellectual thought was formed, okay? And he's reacting against people who he thinks have not been true. Well, they're no longer Christian. I mean, we're talking about people like Adolf von Harnack, who have basically rejected Christianity, and he would call that sort of way of thinking religion, (laughs) Or uh, religiousness, it is it is very Kierkegaardian in a sense, um, sort of the same critique that gets leveled at, you know, the church in Denmark, but obviously for different reasons. So uh, to say that is not that he is being a traditional Lutheran, it is oh, saying that he is using the categories that he understands that do come from Lutheran theology, and by the way, Luther is the, he quotes Luther more than anybody, so I don't know how you would argue that he's not using Lutheran categories. He is doing that in a creative and original way, and that's the first reading. That's what de Young and Tietz, and that's a school of thought, I guess.
1: Yeah, I was in saying that, I wasn't trying to denigrate a reading. I was trying to de- de- delineate two readings, and in these yeah. two readings, I think the, the one, the way you just stated it, you stated it in such a finely nuanced way. That <laughs> you're actually describing what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> I've been suspicious for a while that we're actually, uh, uh, yes, I, I have been suspicious for a little bit, that we're saying the same thing, except then the two readings really are that, or the death of God theology. I, I don't quite understand the, I mean, Bontoffer's not a utopian, and I think there's no way around the fact that what he envisions, if he's going to live through the war, What he's hoping for is something that looks like there's a state church, there's a state that is not going to uh, force the church to commit heresy, it's going to provide law and order, and hopefully allow German people to flourish, and that in that world, the Christian is going to meet their obligation to follow Christ, love thy neighbor. That's oversimplified. In other words, I think he imagines something is historically going to happen and it's not going to – that's what I was trying to ask. What do you think – what's another option? What, what do you think – if you were going to say, where is this thought headed, what would that look like post-war had he lived? What is he hoping Christianity – the sort of Christianity would look like that he wants to be involved in?
1: In other words, I, I think that what you're saying is in no way <clears> – <throat> or even and, – and, and I haven't read De Young. But what I'm saying is that a nuanced Lutheranism is in no way a, a restriction on what I'm, I think he's describing. Mm-hmm. And that is there's something new unfolding, that there is progress to be made theologically. Well, what, what does it look like? And that is, that is the emergence of this recognition, in order to setting aside of the old parameters, the negative parameters of religion. Which are what? Onto theology, which is not his word, but he uses the word apologetics, the idea of fitting God to the, you know, the sideline. He In moving God to the center of things, I think that that's a world possibility that he sees as opening up in what we call secularism, and which he very much recognized. In other words, he recognized that God is no longer necessary. And so all I'm saying is, I think he is saying, all oh, things are being made new, and we're witnessing it.
2: Yeah, I think, okay. So the trouble is, he doesn't say what any of that is. <laughs> right? I mean, unless I mean, have you discovered... That's what I'm trying to push at. What does that look like? What is that? Because it's certainly not... Uh, I don't think it's some radical new version of Christianity. I think In other words, a- I think it's the, this being the same old kinds of Christians and new ways of this world.
1: I think his is a very Kierkegaardian vision in that there is a setting aside of Christendom and the God of Christendom for this understanding that is a, a an under a theological understanding. In other words, is he doing theology? Really, is the question here? And I think yes, he is doing theology.
2: I don't know how to answer that question. Actually, I don't know if Bonhoeffer is setting aside Christendom. In other words, unless he is repudiated the the whole project of ethics, talking about how God's will manifests in these mandates in the world, then uh, I'm not for sure about that. So to take the count- like to take another point of view on all this, a more modern like look back and why we might be uncomfortable. Uh, I mentioned that like the 450th anniversary of Luther's birthday happens during Hitler's rise to power. It's in the early 30s. Von Hindenburg is still in charge. Hitler is not yet the Führer. And Nazism is uniting German Protestants like nothing else had done, ever. Because uh, the German German Protestants are actually in a bunch of little churches that uh, go to each of their principalities. It's not, as, it's not one unified church. And so they are all uniting with the Prussian Union Church, union there meaning between Reformed and Lutherans. And they're all coming together under the swastika. And they think it's a good thing because now they think that the way forward is to learn how to be christians as germans like this is obscene right uh this is and bonhoeffer does not go he doesn't participate in this not because he's against nationalism though and i think that's the problem i don't i think we would like him to be against nationalism i think we would like him to be against sort of the blatant anti-semitism of the nazis but he's not actually against any of those things. What he's against is the state encroaching on the territory of the church. So he thinks the church has its own mandate. The state has its own mandate. Which one's ultimate? Which one actually really matters? Which one's real is the church's mandate? He thinks that uh, ultimately redemption is going to be the case in a redemption of all things sort of way. The church is what lasts or supersedes. The state is only in service to the church. But he thinks that there are these two mandates. That's how we relate to God in the world. So, as you see German Protestantism unite under Nazism, he begins to get uncomfortable with that. He thinks the way to fix that is to preach the gospel, and to preach the gospel in such a way uh, that calls people to repentance. But the the goal for what he's aiming for is not that they're going to cease to become a state church, not that the church becomes some kind of like radical community that just follows Jesus' Uh, apart from, at this point, very corrupt institutions, which is really, I think, hard to take. In other words, uh, why wasn't he more unhappy? (laughs) Why didn't he have a bigger problem with this arrangement between the state and church? Because even the confessing church isn't really an underground church. The confessing church is still relating to the state. It's all official. And what ends up being underground is later the seminaries because when they, they actually become illegal. But it's a long series of events that get you there. It's not like he is abandoning Christendom, is what I would call all that. It's not like he ever thinks, oh, Christendom is evil. And maybe that's problematic. All I'm saying is I'm not for sure if I know how to answer whether or not in the end he finally decides that or not. But I think it would be hasty to say that he's just against Christendom.
1: I think that's a great place to leave it, because... Leave it with a question. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Because I I think we can fill this in a a little bit more, but maybe not. You know, I think he's left with a a huge question mark in part. Part of the thing I, I would like to look at, and I can't haven't, but maybe you have, is his interaction with works of love and with Kierkegaard's being against Christendom. So much of what he's writing on love of neighbor Mm -hmm. almost sounds like he's quoting Kierkegaard.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the flip side of that as well. It's such a key theme in Scripture (laughs) (laughs) that, like, it's not that far fetched to think that they would hit some of the same conclusions if that's what Scripture is actually teaching. But yeah, I don't know that. I do not know how influential Kierkegaard is for him.
1: I like the conversation, and I think we've clarified. I think we've closed. Oh, okay, good.
2: Well, I hope so. Your thought, in a way, I think your own personal thought, is more radically Catholic than Bonhoeffer's could ever be. <laughs> and here's why. And it's something that I had not thought about just until after our conversation. So now, I, I am now in circles in which people will say, the church, the church, the church. And really, all they mean is the Episcopal Church. They don't even mean Anglicanism. But you can fall into a way of speaking where all of the church's problems and all of the solutions are really geared towards just whatever denomination you're in, and you wouldn't even think about. And then sometimes, you know, we'll say, oh, well, but the Catholics do that, or, you know, et cetera. I have the feeling that for Bonhoeffer, the church really is the German church, meaning even, and why I say this is because of his ties with the ecumenical movement. In other words, he's engaged the ecumenical movement in such a way and to a, a deep extent where he doesn't think that he can judge other churches. Like, he literally he thinks that way as a uh, product of, of a uh, European Protestantism. It's like, oh yeah, you have your church, we have our church, we're in the same enterprise, we believe we follow the same Lord, but if I'm going to talk about the church, I'm really talking about what I'm doing. Whereas on the flip side, in all of your work, when you say the church you actually presume that what you have to say matters for everybody. (laughs) And I'm not for sure Bonhoeffer would have. I don't think he would have thought it was his place to tell Bishop Bell what's wrong with, uh, I don't think he would have leveled the critique. Oh, um, right now, Bishop Bell, the C of E, you're all just dealing with this religion. religion, And uh, we're in a religionless age. And this is the issue that you face. I don't think he thought that was his place. And it's, yeah, it's even a part of his going back to Germany.
1: I, I, he certainly didn't hesitate to critique the American church. Oh,
2: he uh, says the gospel's not preached there. Yeah, he
1: just yeah. says they don't, you know, not just at Union. He says that even when I attended church, yeah. uh, that and of course, with the exception of the Black church, yeah. I guess, that he never heard the gospel preached. Yeah. So and what he did he hear preached? The social, it was gospel. A social
2: gospel. It's the stuff people think the gospel is now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah.
2: that's the irony in other words that now if you got up and just preached from Luther or something uh, if you preached from some doctrine people would say well what is that we want to hear the gospel which is about helping people he was saying the exact opposite he was also only 23 years old when he says this that interaction that he has in the American church he is critiquing it but he's critiquing it as an outsider
1: yeah, yeah, you see what no, I mean when, yeah, when, when right, he goes right.
2: when he talks about the church Because of the world that he lives in, he's thinking of the German church. Yeah. Not that he doesn't think that the theology that he does doesn't apply to everybody else, but it's a different headspace. Like, in other words, I don't think he would have ever presumed to tell the church in England or the church in Scandinavia or whatever how they should do, unless he was going to be forthright about it. Like he taught, he tells, I think he does tell Niebuhr, you know, he says, Hey, like, what are you all doing here? But it's a critique in that sense. It's not like his act of theology when he's back in Germany. He's thinking of the German Church. That, yeah. When he says culture, when he says government, he doesn't mean in general. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah,
1: I, that could well be. I, I think that's something I need to look at. I, I, but
2: I, I just think you're more radically Catholic in a sense that uh, your free church position allows you to say the church, and what you mean is like anybody and everybody in a way that isn't really definable how that would work out.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm trying tru- to give
2: you a compliment.
1: Oh, no, thank you. I, I am truly Catholic, I think. <laughs> yeah.
2: So this is what Teetz says. She says, against the backdrop of these fundamental reflections, Bonhoeffer demanded a non-religious interpretation of biblical concepts, in which Christianity is thought. Although it has often been understood otherwise, Bonhoeffer did not mean by this that Christianity should relinquish its faith in God that people should give up religious practices like prayer and ritual, or that there should no longer be a church. Uh, no, all these things are part of Christianity, but Christianity should orient itself so that God, faith, and the church are conceived without the religious elements listed above, so that they exist for the good of the world. To understand Bonhoeffer's analysis, it may it must be made clear that by religion, he wasn't referring to everything the term encompasses in our everyday usage, that is, all the forms of human reference to transcendence, Monhofer's concept of religion was narrow and was determined by four characteristics in particular, metaphysics, inner life, individualism, and partiality. His finding was that one could no longer believe in this way. Metaphysics had determined God as the highest omnipotent world-removed being that serves as an explanation when human beings are unable to explain certain realities within the world and which intervenes in the form in the world from outside, when human beings stumble on their limitations and no longer know how to help themselves. When the religious metaphysical god is located in human limitations, it is in religion's interest to strengthen the boundaries of human beings, not just their epistemological boundaries, but also their interior boundaries, where they don't know how to go on their inner life. So the religious thesis is that only with God can human beings cope with their questions arising at these boundaries, with the so-called ultimate questions about suffering, guilt, and death. This, however, renders religion essentially something oriented towards individualism, that is, the personal concerns of individuals for their inner well-being and the salvation of their souls. All 3 characteristics, metaphysics, inner life, and individualism, have the common feature that through them, religion becomes something partial. Something that affects only a part of human life, but never the human being in his or her entirety.
1: Yeah,, no, that's good. And that hits what I was what I was aiming at that yeah, by setting aside religion, there is the sense that much of what we call Christianity is also set aside.
2: I mean, I think for Bonhoeffer, see this is actually where I would say Bonhoeffer is so Lutheran is because he thinks the primary role of Christianity or the vocation of the church, is to proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is, here is, you know, the Lord of all creation died on a cross. So he calls you to come and die too. This is how you love your neighbor. So the church just preaches that. Should the church, in his mind, should the church get involved in like charitable works? And nah. <laughs> should the church become like all these parachurch organizations? Should we do soup kitchens and all of these things? No, he doesn't care about any of that. He thinks... Preach the word.
1: Well, I just meant it in the in the sense that those Christians, a, a pietistic individualism, saving of souls, the idea of a metaphysical, the, the whole, a theological focus on metaphysics, or the way that reality plays itself out in uh, an understanding of personal salvation. Gotcha. All right, I think we, I think we converged. <laughs> yeah. You
2: know, Wass will read Bonhoeffer. I think he would say the trajectory. So, what we- our conversation earlier it was my question. Well, what's the trajectory? What does this look like? I think Harawas would say, well, it looks, you know, it looks something like post-liberal theology. <laughs> it's it's being a pacifist. It's the church being a place where you can interpret scripture rightly. Uh, the church is reduced to a community. That sort of thing. I don't know, you know, Bonhoeffer's ideas of, like, the church reduced to a community all look very manassant, like, very structured, as in his students who liked him still weren't quite for sure about being forced to meditate for 30 minutes every morning and live such a regimented life.
1: (laughs) He was too German for the Germans.
2: Oh, yeah, we'll get together and we'll read the Bible together. And we'll meet Jesus together. And he means, like, no, we're going to do this and then this. And then this. <laughs> it's yeah. very, yeah, maybe he's very German in that sense.
1: Yeah. Regimented. Yeah. The main, I think we accomplished the thing, and that is, okay, here are the two two readings.
2: Well, I think the next question is, is he a martyr? It just has to do with identifying, well, what did he exactly do? Like, uh, not necessarily even just the reason for his death, but, like, his political thought. What is he aiming for? And is it in fact uh, a model for Christians or not? I mean, you know, he's put on uh, Westminster Abbey. I think is where he's at. Uh, I think it's an interesting discussion to have.
1: Okay, I'll I'll start thinking that direction. Okay, sounds good. John. <laughs> right, uh, hey, it's great discussion. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up. to see you next week then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: forgingplowshares.org.